Welcome to our service this morning to the Lord's house. We're going to begin with number 189, standing as we worship. When the roll is called up yonder, we will be there. Let's sing to the Lord's praise today. This is a great affirmation of faith for the child of God, because the hope that we have that is reiterated over and over again in the Scriptures is that Christ who has died, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended to glory, promised that He will come again. And the believer has been waiting for 2,000 years now for that to come, and we are in the last days from the time of the New Testament to the end. So when will the Lord come? We do not know. But the greater question, friend, is this. Are you certain, and do you know that you will meet the Lord when He comes in joy and victory and hope? Are you alive in Christ today? And if you are, then we can rejoice in that, and you have that eternal hope resting in you. And so, while we have time and opportunity now, we're called to labor for the Master from the dawn till the setting sun. Sometimes our feet become weary 
Sometimes we are a little cast down and worn out, it seems. Nonetheless, the Lord has promised to strengthen us with might in the inner man, and as He strengthens us by His Spirit, we will be enabled, empowered to go forward and do His work. Let us, let us go forward with that great aim and hope and purpose. The Lord will not disappoint ever. He never does. He never will. And though we fail, we have faltering feet, yet in our labor as we continue on down that road, may God keep us until that day, either when Christ comes or else He chooses to take us home to be with Him. Either way, we are going home to see our Lord and our Master. There's great hope, and we thank God for that today. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Our loving God and Father, we rejoice that once more we are found in the house of prayer, in the place of praise. And Lord, we have come with our hearts open to worship. And Father, we humble ourselves today in Your holy presence. And Lord, we know in our hearts that we are nothing. We know in our souls, Lord, that we do not deserve the least of blessings and benefits and all of the practical and abundant things we have received on earth. And yet, Lord, You have promised to give and to give and to give again. And when we think about this from a believer's point of view, Lord, we are Your children. We are children of the King. And therefore, it does not matter what accusation the devil brings against us. We have our standing secured in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus. And so I pray today, Father, that we will keep our eyes fastened upon the Lord Jesus, that we will walk each day by faith, knowing that we are clothed in His righteousness, and that we might go forward laboring for the Master from the dawn till the setting sun, from the opening of the year to the end of the year, the beginning of the day to the end of it, Lord, pour out Your Spirit mightily upon us because we know that we are not able for these things of ourselves. Father, we, we humbly attest to that today. Without Christ, we can do nothing. And therefore, Father, we give ourselves again. We come to rededicate our lives our work, whatever You have enabled us to do. We give it, Father, back into Your gracious and loving hand and pray that You will prosper and bless and increase what we have been strengthened to do. Lord, everything we have, the gifts, talents, whatever they might be, few in number, nonetheless, we know that they have been given. We have no reason to boast. And I pray that at every turn we will deflect the glory unto our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us help today, Father, in this worship service. We can't depend on the one last week, Lord, 
We need fresh supplies of Your grace for today, here and now. And I pray that as we read the Scriptures, as we sing, pray openly and in the heart, as the Word of God is opened, that there would be great benefit, Lord. There would be a great encouragement to every soul. We need the Spirit's power enabling us to speak the Word. I need that. And that everyone here would hear with the hearing ear, the understanding heart. And Lord, not just to hear audibly, but dear God, I pray the Word would penetrate into the heart to change our lives so that we would be conformed, Lord, to Your Word, and that we would be conformed to the glorious image of our righteous and holy Savior. Father, we need help today, as in every day. And I pray that You would bless every family in our congregation, that You would pour out Your Spirit mightily, Lord, to save unsaved children, that You would bring back those that have drifted and wandered away. How far they have gone, Lord, we do not know. But Lord, I know that You're able to bring back every one who has strayed. And Lord, pour out Your Spirit today and give help and understanding and blessing. We think, Father, of the physical needs of those in our fellowship. We pray again for them, those who are going through long, extended health problems, those who are facing surgery at this time and treatment. Think of Brother Bodner today facing cancer treatment. Lord, watch over him and bless him and his dear, dear wife as well. We pray that they would know your, your great grace upon them. Father, remember our missionaries and ministers and pulpits that don't have under-shepherds today. Give direction and help and Your presence. We think again of the believers that are in the Ukraine and ministers, pastors, missionaries who are trying to serve and be faithful in this time of warfare. Lord, rebuke the proud and the devouring agents of this world and of the devil as they would go about their wicked and devilish work. And dear God, strengthen and help and bless, we pray. Pour out Your Spirit abundantly upon us. We need that gracious reviving, Lord, and we long each day that we'll walk closer and closer with our God. So, Father, hear our prayer today. Bless us. Encourage our hearts. We ask all of these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. <clears throat> Please, let's worship again. Number 191. The tune is a familiar one for us, though the words may be a little different. We will stand nonetheless, and we will praise God. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your lights appear. The evening is advancing, and darker night is near. The bridegroom is arising, and soon he will draw nigh. Up, watch with expectation. At midnight comes the cry.
Let's turn, please, in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 for congregational reading. Philippians 2, reading the first 16 verses. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. May the Lord bless His own holy word uh, to us all today as we have read. We trust it will be an encouragement and a blessing to you all. I want to welcome you today uh, to our morning worship service. It's good to see you all here. And those folks who are viewing our service online today, you're very, very welcome It's good to see Peter Vanderwall with us today in the service. You're very welcome. Good to have you, brother. And uh, also our sister Ruth Slade, Dr. Slade. This is a special day for you. This is Dr. Slade's birthday today, right on the very day. So we wish her a very happy birthday. And we pray that the Lord would encourage and bless her in her life. Please pray for Brother Bodner. I was speaking with uh, our brother this past week. And he was giving me a little update just on how things are going and the schedule for him regarding his 
uh, treatment, chemo, radiation, then surgery for the esophageal cancer that he has. And uh, do pray for him. I know he'd greatly appreciate your intercession. I want to bring you just an encouraging email I received from Jason Boyle, our minister in Mexico. We've been praying about the adoption process for their second son, Jonathan, and uh, it had been delayed and delayed and delayed on and on and on. Uh, but we were praying last Wednesday specifically, and he writes this email, Dear praying friends and family, thank you so much for your prayers for Jonathan's adoption hearing today. That would have been, I think it was Friday. The Lord answered the specific request we had, and the adoption was approved. We are so thankful to see his hand at work today and to know that Jonathan is officially and legally ours. We appreciate so much all the prayers of God's people today for us, and we hope that soon we will have the opportunity to travel as a family and visit many of you. In Christ, Jason, Danielle, Caleb, and Jonathan. So that's a great encouragement for the congregation and a real blessing to know that the Lord has answered prayer in that particular uh, way. Please ask you to remember some important ministry going on today and then also in this incoming week. This afternoon, I will be with the Cloverdale congregation at 1.30 via Zoom, and appreciate your prayers for that. And uh, Brother James Fraser is ministering today in Port Hope in the morning. Brother Alec Newell be there in the evening time, Lord willing. And uh, Brother Cranston is overseas doing some special meetings, and so these brethren are filling in. I know they would greatly appreciate your prayers for them at this time as well. This afternoon at 4.50, we have our session and board prayer time, and then at 5.50, the prayer time for the congregation before evening service. And I trust we'll continue in our study of the book of Daniel tonight in the evening 6.30 service. And then on Wednesday, our prayer meeting of Bible study at 7.30, and uh, we are studying through Psalm 63 and I encourage you to memorize verses 4 and 5. And we tried to do the first three verses last Wednesday. We want to keep at this. And so please press on in that important ministry of hiding the Word of God in your heart. And then next Lord's Day, God willing, our services at the regular time. A couple of advance announcements. On May the 1st, which is next Lord's Day, we will be having our communion service following the morning, and it will be the joy of welcoming in four new people into membership in our congregation, and that's always a great blessing, and so please, uh, we'll be keeping all those services much in prayer. Then on May the 6th, which is a week Friday, we'll be holding our Sunday School Training Seminar Introduction that will be at 7 p.m. And for all of the folks, the young people specifically, who are uh, new in the congregation or maybe you've been here for a while, we want to encourage you to come along uh, to that study and training part. Whether or not you're involved in Sunday school now, but if you feel the Lord is at least directing you in that way, you're welcome to come along on that Friday night. And then... We're having our presbytery meetings down in Greenville, South Carolina, and that will be May the 9th to the 13th, and uh, we will appreciate your prayers for all who will be traveling to that and the times. And then here's a long way off announcement. It seems long now anyway, May 22nd. It's going to be our 
National Day of Prayer for our churches across Canada. This will be the third, fourth of these that we have held, and I pray that it will be a blessing and encouragement, so set these times aside. Let's worship the Lord again, please, by singing Psalm 63. Psalm 63, and the offering plate is on the table in the hallway as you would like to leave your offering there if you feel moved by the Lord to do that. Remain seated while we sing. Let's stand, please, as we sing the last, uh, let's see now, the last two verses. Yes, five and six. I invite you please to turn in your Bibles to John 14. John chapter 14, we're going to read the first 12 verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go 
to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else, believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. We'll pause for prayer. Lord, we come now to pray for the light of the Spirit of God. I pray for the help and power of the Spirit to speak the Word of God faithfully so that no one will misunderstand or misconstrue. And Lord, you would give us all hearing ears and understanding hearts. Write your truth upon us, but not, Lord, just so that we can gain some knowledge or have a little bit more clarity, but I pray that the the Spirit will apply it to our hearts so that we will be changed and become more like our Lord. Dear Father, help us today, I pray. Bless us now. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. The Lord Jesus said, greater works than these, greater works than these that you will do. I heard a man who claimed to be an atheist say that there is not enough evidence to believe in God. If the God of the Bible was real, he said, he has not done a good job in providing evidence of himself. There are many like this man who would claim that they would believe in God if only they had 
proof or if they could see God. With such a challenge, Jesus was tempted on more than one occasion by the Pharisees who said, show us a sign that you are who you say you are, something miraculous that would cause them to believe. And then they went so far as to mock Christ as He's hanging on the cross saying, come down from the cross and then we will believe you. Their mockery had taken itself to a new level. And many more examples could be given about skeptics and doubters, unbelievers, and generally indifferent people who would dare to shake their little bony finger to heaven declaring that there is no God and we will not obey Him anyway. But the Bible declares that God has made Himself known. And one thing that's important to realize is that the Bible does not try to defend the existence of God. It simply declares that God is. And you will have to deal with the consequences of that statement. What is important is to know that throughout the Scripture, God has made it clear that every man is without excuse about the existence of the God of heaven and creation. So in Romans 1, he will say that very phrase, that man is without excuse, because the Word has been put into the very conscience of the individual. It's part of our human nature. And so, as God has communicated His Word into the conscience of man, revealing the existence of a supernatural being, and the written revelation has then given to us the clarity of who this God is, yet what natural man must do, they must put God out of their mind. They must erase Him. They must eradicate the fact that He is there inside the mind and heart. The course of documented history must be ignored to a large degree because even secular writers have given ample record of the person and the man Christ Jesus of Nazareth who lived in Israel and was crucified by the Romans in 33 A.D. These historical factors, of course, may be acknowledged by some, but will be marginalized to say that the claims that Jesus made about His relationship to the Father, about His essential nature and being of and as God, are, are all just sidelined. And they are written off as being, He was a martyr, a prophet maybe, Someone who died for his principles may be a good example to follow, but not the Son of God, and certainly not God the Son. Those declarations are made by man. But the fact that our Lord Jesus claimed to be the Son of God was clear also from the reaction he received from the Jewish leaders because when he made those declarations, they took up stones to stone him for the sin of blasphemy. Because they knew that when he said he was the Son of God, 
He made Himself equal to the very essence of God the Father. And for them, it was a step too far. Now, the disciples, they had been following the Lord for three years. They knew Him, and they believed in Him. But their belief was still developing. Their understanding of who He was. Peter acknowledged clearly that He was the Messiah. He was the Christ of God. And the other disciples made that same affirmation. But they did not quite grasp the truth that when they were looking upon Christ Jesus, when they had received this one as their own Lord and Savior, they were in fact looking upon the Father. They had seen God. But when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we would be happy, it would all come together then, Lord, if you would just show us the Father. And so what Philip was doing, it seemed that he was looking for some kind of physical, material affirmation to that which is not to be given. When the Lord Jesus then said to Philip, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. What an astounding word! And what a truth that would penetrate to the hearts of these disciples, if not fully then, it would most certainly develop as the Spirit of God made their understanding more complete. He said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And the words that I speak are from Him. And therefore, the works that I do are from the Father because we are united. We are one. And then, friends, we come to verse 12, which is my text this morning. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And I want to examine this. How could we say anything less than an amazing statement? And I pray that the Spirit will open our minds and to give us spiritual understanding of the truth so that it will have an impact upon us and as we go in our Christian lives about doing our work and service for the Lord, can we understand fully that we are doing the works of Jesus? We are involved in building His kingdom. We are involved in advancing the cause of God. And the question comes to us all then today, what are we doing? What are we doing to advance the kingdom of God? Maybe, maybe the Lord's Spirit would speak to us all in some, some specific way whereby we need to 
get busy about serving the Lord. Maybe we need to get off our chair to be active in serving Him. Or perhaps we'll need to say, Lord, please open up new doors, new vistas, new horizons, new opportunities. Because as we've been praying in our congregation the last while, haven't we? Lord, we want to be soul winners for Christ. We're praying that the Lord will use all of us individually, that we will be able to lead a soul to Christ. That's our heart's cry. That's our desire. And we want to see that happening today. But first of all, and this first thought I leave with you, the necessity of believing on Christ. Look at the opening phrase of verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Once more, our Lord, He takes very specific aim on the most important matters of the human soul. At Lazarus' tomb, Jesus stood and declared, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Whosoever lives and believes in Christ. And on another occasion, the Lord posed a question to a man. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? My, that question could be posed to a few rich men in this world today, couldn't it? Big tech giants, leaders of big countries, men who have raised themselves or been elevated to very high positions by fame and by money and by power. I wonder what it will profit to them if they gain all of this world and everything they have to gain. But their soul is gone from them. My dear friend, your soul is the most important thing you have because no matter how much you would have to replace it or give for it, it could not be purchased. It could not be part paid for and it dare not be bartered with your eternal and everlasting soul. Our Lord said in this very chapter, and we have looked at this previous times in our study he was the way to God. He was the truth and the life. And that no man was coming to the Father except by Him. And therefore the only way that a man can get to the Father and to heaven is to come through Christ. It is simply, my friend, the gospel news, the great news of salvation, because it is by faith in receiving Jesus as our own. The religions of this world would say to you, there are other ways that a man can surely get to heaven and get to God, but Jesus made it so exclusive, so some would say very bigoted and narrow, but Jesus said, I am the way, the life, the truth. No man comes to the Father but by Him. And so He declares to Philip, to the disciples, He that believes in me. I wonder, friend, 
Have you believed in the Lord this morning? You're at your home, you're at your computer, you're there. Maybe you tuned in today by accident, you think. But the Lord has a message for you. And the message is the message of hope and of eternal life and of knowing that the only way that can be possessed is by coming through the cross, the merit, the atoning value of all that Jesus did when He died on the cross. Some think they're going to get to heaven by their good heritage or a family or nationality or some other way, thinking you're going to work your way to heaven. No, friend, all of those things are are broken sticks because you can't fix the broken commandments that you've already offended and gone against the Lord. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, once Christ has become your personal Savior and you have been saved from your sin, and I know that that encompasses most who are here today. And once when you believed and you received the Lord Jesus, then He said you will follow Him and you will love Him and you will want to do the works that He has set before us. As a matter of fact, it will be the very evidence that you are a child of God if you love Him and obey Him and want to serve Him. Jesus said, keep my commandments, for my commandments are not grievous. They're not troubling to the heart of a child of God, someone who has been converted, but they are joyfully accepted and received, not filtered through the world's thinking, but filtered only through the Spirit of God as He has revealed His truth in His Word. Yes, my dear friends, in verse 12 of John 14, in order to do the work that God is talking about here, there must first of all be a knowledge of Jesus. There must be a reception of Christ. There must be the new birth. And if you have known Him and believed in Him, then you are ready for the next stage. And I want you to notice in the second place this morning the privilege of doing His work. The privilege, the honor, the grace, the benefit, the blessing of doing His work. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on Me, the works that I do shall he do also. The works that I do shall he do also. I'm encouraged about that today, and so should you. Because the Lord is so humbling Himself as He came to earth to fulfill the will of His Father, speaking the words of God, doing the works of the Father. And now the Lord Jesus turns and said, if you are a believer in Me and a follower of Me, you're going to do the very same works that I'm doing. How, how great a blessing is that. And the works that we will be doing will be in the track of following 
Jesus' example. John said that if we say we abide in Christ, then we ought also to walk even as Jesus walked. So we know that Christ is our Savior. We look upon Him as our great shepherd, the bishop of our souls, as the New Testament says, the commander, the the supreme example for us to follow. And so we look to Christ. Now, we cannot copy His example, and some people think they can do this. You can't copy the example of Jesus and think that by just simply following Him as a a good leader, a good man, that that will be your ticket to glory in heaven. No, friend, we can't be justified by that because of the sin of our heart. We need that dealt with. We have to first come and believe in Christ, and then we are going to, by following the teaching of Christ, it's going to be an example, an evidence, a testimony. It's going to be a witness that we have been to Him. We are said here to be the ones who will be doing the works of God, of Christ. Now, friends, when I'm faced with that, quite frankly, I know we do this so imperfectly But whatever is our deficiency, if we love our Lord Jesus and we want to please Him with our hearts and in our lives, if we love Him, we are going to want to obey and follow and serve Him. Do you love the Lord today in your heart? Then if you say, yes, I do, then the automatic conclusion is, that you you will want to serve Him and live for Him in your life. You want not to do anything that's going to grieve the Spirit of God and upset and turn away from following the Lord. You're going to want to be praying continually that the Lord would set a hedge around you like the angel of the Lord would encamp round about them that fear Him. We want to be serving and following and walking in that pathway The works that I do, Jesus said, ye shall do also. So let's ask this question. What works would Jesus be talking about? Does He mean that people will raise the dead? Or will people give sight to the blind? Or cause the deaf to hear? Or cure all diseases? Now, in a very pointed, specific way, that is exactly what the apostles did. They, when they went about to establish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the church of the New Testament era and time period, it was introduced by miraculous events. And these continued for, well, a short season. They continued for a short time. And why was that? So that it would facilitate the rapid expansion of the gospel throughout the Middle East, Asia, and Europe, and then beyond that as the missionaries and the believers would go. And so very specifically, God has used miracles 
in different times of human history in order to introduce a new era, a new time. And sometimes it would be a new message. Now, for example, the prophets and the apostles, they had supernatural gifts in order to validate the message that they were speaking. Yet in the history of the Bible, the use of miracles, it's relatively rare. You would find some of the prophets, they would be able to do some miraculous things, and God used it at their time period for the purpose of promoting or forwarding His kingdom and His cause. And the Lord did that by His sovereign counsel and purposes. And you wonder, well, why did He not do it at this time period, and how come He did it here? Well, you may not get the answer to those questions immediately. It may not be till glory. But in the apostolic age, the apostles had the supernatural power to do miraculous things. But at the end of that age, at that time period, at the end of the life of the apostles, it almost completely stopped. And the record of anything that is, could be deemed miraculous in church history is very, very, very rare. And many times, quite frankly, it's spurious. It's not even true. It's something else that's pretended to be a miracle, and on and on it goes. So we ask this further question, what kind of works? If Jesus is saying, the works that I do, you will do also. What kind of works are we talking about? And what did the Lord mean by that? I would suggest to you that these involve the works of the goodness of Christ. We are told that Jesus went about doing good. That summarized His life. He did not go about to hurt people. He did not go about with anger to penalize people. He went about doing good. This was the pattern of His life. And the Lord Jesus has said to us, let your lights so shine that they, the world, may see your, what? Your good works. That they may glorify your Father in heaven. And the Christian is to be about the works of Christ in these good matters. How is it, believer, that we can see this worked out in our daily life? And I know that many of you are saints of a higher level. As I hear and know of things that you are doing, things that you're doing that you may not think of that are very vital or important. But as a pastor, I hear things coming back to me. And I praise and rejoice and thank God for the development, the manifestation of the goodness of God seen through your lives. This is what it is to be Christianity 101. It's what it is to serve. It's what it is, my brothers and sisters, to do the very works of Jesus and of Christ. What about His gracious words and actions? 
You remember the account of the Herodian soldiers that went to arrest Christ and they came back empty-handed. And when they were questioned about it, they said this, Never man spake like this man. And so here are these soldiers. They're going into the crowd. They're going into the marketplace to arrest this heretic, Jesus. And when they come, they're, 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 they're paused for a moment, waiting for the right time. The crowd will maybe ease a bit. They'll come in, take him, and go. And then they're struck by the words that he's preaching. And they're dumbfounded. And they're, they're immobilized. And they're just listening. And they turn at the end of the sermon and they go away because they were overwhelmed by the, the communication, the gracious words, the actions of our Lord. On another occasion when Jesus was teaching, the people were amazed at His gracious words that He spoke. My dear friends, we, we can do much damage in the kingdom of God by our ungracious communication. And I put up my hand on that one. Guilty. Our ungracious communication and sometimes the way we behave toward people, it's not of the Lord. It's not following in the works that the Lord has called us to do. And so, yes, there's time for some heart reflection as we consider these matters today, isn't there? Our Lord Jesus went about speaking and operating and working with authority and with conviction, not in rudeness, not with arrogance. And when our Lord communicated the will of His Father with that clarity and authority and conviction, there was no hesitation. There was no uncertainty in His words. And He also did not fear the consequences. So He was not overwhelmed and concerned with what other people were thinking about Him. Oh, oh, doesn't that hurt? Does that not cut to your heart today? How many times have we failed to authoritatively go and witness to someone because we're afraid of what they're going to think about us. We're afraid that they're going to wonder, are we a bit weird? Are we a bit different? And so we fear the face of man. But that was not what the Lord was. And therefore, as we are about the works of our Master, we pray that He will enable us to be empowered by the authority of the Holy Spirit, that we will also be able to do His work in meekness, in quietness and gentleness, but with great love. And do we not do the work of God, perhaps in the most preeminent way here, in the witnessing and preaching of the gospel message? That's what Christ came into this world to do. He said to His disciples, I must preach the Word in these other cities. And so He continued in His earthly journey from this post to that post and communicated the wonderful works of God and the message that His Father gave Him to speak. 
This work every Christian is called to. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the missionary's job. It's the task of every single believer. We're to be about the master's business because Christ's mission is our mission and the purpose of our Savior is ours today. So we are to follow the example of Jesus. But there's something that becomes even more staggering in all this as we think about what Jesus said about doing greater works than He did. We are doing the works of Christ. We can actually get a bit of a handle on that. And we can say, well, okay, I get that. I know how we can maybe do some of those things and see how the Lord worked through. But how do you define this? That Jesus said, you are going to do greater works than He did. Greater works. This perplexing statement is quite frankly one that has caused much confusion among believers. It's partly because who among us would be prepared to say this statement? Yeah, I have done greater works than my Lord did. No, no, you wouldn't say that. As a matter of fact, when you think, when I think personally about this, I just shake my head. And I said, Lord, there's no way. There is no way that I could do greater works than my Savior. I wouldn't even let the thought enter my mind. It's beyond reach. And yet this is what Jesus said. So now we have to get down to the bottom of what He meant by that. Did any of the apostles walk on water? Did any of them feed 5,000 with a piece of bread and a fish? Did any of them raise the dead of someone who had been dead for over a week? Yet in the early church, there were miracles that the apostles did that we could say actually are greater or are different and beyond even what Jesus did. Now, for example, in Acts chapter 5, after Pentecost happened and there was that great outpouring of the Spirit and the church was developing and growing, Ananias and Sapphira were two people who joined themselves to the church. And they said they sold their property and for so much money and they were donating that money and giving it to the church, but they lied. They cheated and swindled. And Peter said to Ananias directly, he said, Ananias, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost in this matter? And at the moment Peter said that to him, Ananias dropped dead in front of him. Now the Lord, that never happened in the Lord's ministry and life. It could have happened. I don't deny that. But it did not. And then in verse 12 of the same chapter in Acts 5, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought. Note that. Many signs and wonders, miracles, were wrought among the people, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the street and laid them on beds and couches 
that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And the implication here is this, that as Peter was healing people and the other apostles as well, so great was the healing that was taking place in these cities that if the very people came under the shadow of Peter, now when did that ever happen with the Lord's ministry in life? And so an indication in the early church, and then we could cite a few other things. Well, what about the speaking in other languages in the day of Pentecost? There's no evidence that Christ ever did that. Languages that had not been known. What about this? What about at the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were saved at one day by the preaching of Peter? Did that ever happen in the Lord's ministry? No, it did not. This was a greater work than what Jesus had done. Now, we know that it's the Spirit of God that brings conviction of sin. It's not man's work to bring a person to Christ, but these were instruments that were used of God to do a great work, and a great work it was. And so, the New Testament church was being built, and the Lord gives us these examples here. J.C. Ryle commented this. He said, What our Lord has in view seems to be the far greater number of conversions, the far wider spread of the gospel which would take place under the ministry of the apostles than under his own teaching. Yes, I believe we're getting now to the heart of what Jesus was talking about. It was not that there would be a more stupendous type of miracles. They weren't going to be able to do things that Jesus did not express or do. But there was a far greater and a vaster expansion that in every generation of the church from the time of the apostles right down until today, how many thousands and thousands of souls have been saved? How much has the kingdom of God been extended and expanded through the servants of the Lord? It's a good thing for us to ask ourselves, though, isn't it? What greater works than Christ are we doing and involved with in our day, in our time. The last thought I leave with you this morning is this. The reason that our work will be done, the reason that it will be done, because it certainly will not be done by any power that is generated from within man. We cannot do the work of God man's way, and we most certainly will not do the work of God by the, by the power of man. So the reason that our work will be done, please look back at John 14, verse 12 again, to the very last phrase. Jesus said, Because I go unto 
the Father, because I go unto the Father. And on the, the screen behind me, you will see four points. And please put them all up at once. What does it mean when Jesus said, Because I go unto the Father? He was telling his disciples and all his people that this was certain. This was absolutely unchangeable in what he was saying. Why? Because his work would be accomplished. Remember, he is not at the cross yet. He is still in the final hours before Calvary. But this precious teaching in John's epistle, as he is both in the upper room and then moving to the Garden of Gethsemane, his work had not been done yet, but very soon it would be completed. But Christ knew it would be done. And so he is saying, because I go unto my Father, because my work on the cross is coming and it will be completed, because I will die and go to the grave and I will rise from the dead and I will ascend to glory, my work will be completed. And in the second part, his position at the right hand of the Father is absolutely secured. No one, no power in heaven or hell would be able to remove Christ from that rightful position where He is, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and that secured position is guarantee for us that the works that Christ has given us to do, we will do, and His kingdom will be completed. And the third one, the Holy Spirit will be given in fullness to the people. Jesus is promising. We're coming to that now in our study here in 1415. But the giving of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the power for the church, because that was coming, Christ would leave them, the Spirit would come, and we would be empowered. And Christians will be equipped to do the work that God has given us to do. And brothers and sisters, this is where we stand today. We have everything in front of us, all the hope and power of the gospel and all of Christ's promises and the fulfillment of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost in us. We have all this. Now, are we at the point of giving ourselves to be used of God in His service? Let us not hold back anything from Him. Let us say with all our hearts and all our souls, Lord, here I am. Whatever there is of me, take me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I will go. I will do. I will serve. And with that spirit and heart, the words of this verse are so true, and they are fulfilled. If you believe in Christ, we will do His works and greater works because of all that He has promised and done and accomplished on our behalf. Let's bow in prayer. Friend, if you're here today, service is just about closed. If you don't know the Lord, you've never sealed that matter with Christ in your heart.
then today is the opportunity. Now is the accepted time. Come to Christ today. Do not delay. Friend, if you trusted the Lord years ago, but you know today you're not walking with the Lord as once you did, then now is an opportunity God has given again to renew your love to Christ and your life service for Him. Our loving God and Father, we, Lord, deal with the things that are so vitally important with such weakness. And yet, Lord, we know that it's not of men. And so take the Word, Lord, today. Take this Scripture and write it upon every heart. And dear God, go in front of us. Lead us forward, we pray. Part us now in your fear with your rich and mighty blessing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.